because God is able and he is. And we're in Ephesians right now and we're learning about the armor of God and we're going to get some really detailed um, counsel about that today. But I just wanted to remind us that it's so important to use those for our defense against the powers that be out there. But we also have this at our disposal and that's the name of Jesus. At any time, any place, we can just speak, shout, pray, beg the name of Jesus. And it is so, so, so powerful to do amazing things still. Lost
A reading from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord.
Amen. That is where the victory is found. No matter what you and I are going through, think of it. He holds the whole world in his hand. He's got us. We are secure in Christ, and he's fighting our battles. And our faith and our joy is found in him. Let us pray. God, we're coming before you this morning, and we worship you from the heart, in spirit and in truth. Our great delight is that we will be able to gather with your people, to sing your praises, to worship you from the heart, to realize that these earthly experiences are just simply a foretaste of the eternal glory of being in your presence, gathering with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. For you are the exalted one, and we have the privilege of worshiping you because you have secured us in Christ. And we're asking now, Lord, that as we turn to your word, that you, through the working of your Holy Spirit, would take the truth of your word and mold us and fashion us as the people you intended us to be. And so we ask expectantly as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 6. If you're new here, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to have you here. One of the things that we do is we go through books of the Bible. We do it verse by verse. It is called sequential expository preaching, and that's because we believe God brings his transformation through his revelation, and we're presently in Ephesians chapter 6. I was reading of a guy by the name of Paul Dawson, and he decided to take his family to tour the Grand Coulee Dam. Anybody know where that is? It's west of Spokane. It's the largest hydroelectric plant in the United States. And so there's a picture of it. And so the kids were thoroughly awed by taking that all in. It is absolutely impressive. And there's a visitor center right there. And so, of course, let's take in the visitor center. And But he noticed it was all dark. He thought, well, maybe it's like tinted windows, you know, to kind of keep the place cool. And But then when they got inside, they discovered that, oh, no, it's dark in here too. Like all the exhibits, nothing's working. Everything's totally in the dark. And he's like... How is it possible that the visitor center that is right next to the largest hydroelectric dam in the United States has no power? Now, apparently there was some sort of technical problem, but it is kind of perplexing. Like, that makes no sense, right? I tell you that because, you know, that's kind of like our life sometimes, right? We are, by virtue of relationship with Jesus Christ, connected with him, the eternal, immense absolutely awesome God of the universe. He created all things, seen and unseen, and yet sometimes our life reflects so little of his power. It's, we're functioning, and we're kind of doing life, but it's almost as if we're doing life apart from God. And this is especially dangerous because we're in the midst of a war. And as we saw last week, as we started this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul brings the grand conclusion to his book, the book of Ephesians, to this conclusion. We're in the midst of a war, and there is some armor that we have to put on so that we're not absolutely defeated by the devil. So take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need to be strong in him, his strength. If you are going to try to do life on your own, you are going to be miserably defeated. We need to appropriate his strength, his resources. We are called to be strong in him. And it's because of this. Like it says in 1 John 4, 4, 
Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Our strength, our victory, who, the one who will carry us through the battles that we're facing, the difficulties, the challenges, the temptations, it's Christ. He's the one who is the absolute victor, a victory secured at the cross, manifested through the resurrection. But I want you to know that the battle is on. And if, in case you missed it, I really encourage you to go back, go to our website, and listen to last week's message because we talked about this war that we face. And look at what, it, what he tells us about it in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is the war that exists. And notice what he said in verse 11, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes, Greek word methodia, it's where we get our word method. It was oftentimes used of wild animals who in stealth, very cunningly, came upon their prey And before they even knew what was happening, just pounced on them and killed them. Uh, We had some good friends that live in Boise, Idaho, and they were listening to last week's message. And word got back that uh, Robert and Laura St. Michelle, Robert was out there hunting, and uh, he's kind of doing his bow hunting thing when he suddenly realized that he was being tracked down by a mountain lion. And so he turns around, he trains his bow on that mountain lion, who had been tracking him, and apparently this kind of, you know, this kind of tense little standoff held on for a little while, and eventually the mountain lion went away. But Robert said it was absolutely creepy how he, the hunter, was being hunted, and he never even heard the mountain lion, who was just quietly, stealthily tracking him down. I tell you this because... That's how the devil works. He, like Peter writes, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And last week, we talked about the scheme of the devil. We presented it as these killer D's in which the devil looks to bring defeat to, his, to God's people. And as I read this, just as a, just a quick recap, see if any of these come to mind that you faced. Because they certainly, some of these... I faced this past week. The killer D's the devil uses to defeat the children of God, doubt, denial, discouragement, discontentment, diversion, disregard of godly counsel, disinterest, deception, destruction, disunity, doctrinal confusion, duplicity, disobedience. If this is the war in which we face, what we need is God's armor. And that's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. And so he's using military language. Take up is kind of like a call to be ready. It's describing preparation for battle. And the imagery that he's going to use is a metaphor of just like a Roman soldier would be outfitted with all of his armor, so you and I as believers in Christ 
are to appropriate and put on and live in the realities of our relationship with Christ. And he's, notice what he said in verse 13, so that you, that you is plural, all of us together. And so Roman soldiers, when they fought, they fought together as a legion. And they literally would lock arms, they had their shields next to each other, and they would move forward. And as long as they never broke rank, a Roman legion was virtually invincible. And we need to live together. This is how we're going to stand strong. So if you think, like, well, gee, after the pandemic, I can kind of just do church whenever, right? I'll just, you know, whenever I can catch up to it, and it works with my schedule. And I don't need to gather with the saints. I want you to know... That's not New Testament Christianity. You see, we who have been brought into relationship with Christ, we are brought into relationship with Christ and his people. It is individual salvation that brings us collectively together in the community of believers, the believers of faith, and we are to stand strong together. And so this imagery of armor, it really comes from the Old Testament, specifically the book of Isaiah, where it says of the Messiah, the, in the Greek word is Christ. It means anointed one. It is this promised deliverer. And Isaiah, writing 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, speaks of the Messiah who has the armor of God. So, for instance, Isaiah 11.5 mentions that the Messiah is going to come with the belt of righteousness and faithfulness. Isaiah 59.17, that the Lord is put on righteousness like a breastplate, and putting on the helmet of salvation on his head. Or Isaiah 52, 7, where the, it's the beauty of the feet of those who pronounce good news of happiness and salvation in the kingdom of God. Who brings these? It is Messiah. And if you're to understand the armor of God, all of the armor of God is encapsulated by Christ It is Jesus who brings us this picture of the armor of God. Because think of it. Who is the way and the truth? Who's the truth? Why, John 14, 6, Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is our righteousness. He's the one who's our peace. His faithfulness allows for our faithfulness. He is the one who brings the gospel of salvation. It is he who has given us his word. It is the word of God. It's, it's all about Christ. His faithfulness brings about our faithfulness. And you see, the armor, really, of God points to the all-sufficiency of Christ. And so this armor that he's presenting, it's done so metaphorically so that we will understand just how great the gifts of God are that have been given to us. The belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And as we're going to see as we make our way, when you get to verse 18, you find out that it is prayer that allows us to put this full use of these divine resources given us to God. Know this, no satanic assault is stronger than God. God is the ultimate one. But what we need to do is figure out how do you do what he said to put on, verse 13, the full armor of God. How do you do that? Let me tell you. It's this. We put on the armor of God by loving and living in the realities of our relationship with Christ. This is how you do it. 
We put on the armor of God by loving and living in the realities of our relationship with Christ. Christ is our source of strength. He's the one who brings the victory. He's the one who's all-sufficient. So how do we, like it says in verse 10, how do we stand strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Well, we're going to walk through this systematically. And the reason that we're going to take this slowly, like today we're only going to do one verse, verse 14, because this is really going to be the difference for you and me. To the degree that we live in the victory and the armor of God is the degree that we're going to experience his strength, his life. It is God's armor that takes cowards and makes them courageous. It takes people that are fickle and makes them faithful. Those who have a tendency of being dominated by fear can live with boldness. But it's only to the degree that we're living in light of the realities of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he brings. So the first thing we learn is this. If we're going to stand strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, we've got to be committed to the truth. Take a look, verse 14. He says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So here is the third time he says, I want you to stand firm. You almost get the impression that, wow, they must have been kind of getting kind of weak and feeble and being dominated by who knows what. And here is this rally cry. He keeps using military language, and he says, stand firm. And the first thing he says is we need to be committed to the truth. In fact, he refers to it as being gird your loins with truth. So let me just tell you the very first piece of armor is this belt of truth. And as we go through this, the armor that is being metaphorically presented it was given in the exact same order a Roman soldier would put it on. And so those would be familiar with the Roman Empire and their soldiers. They'd be very familiar, like, this is how they put their armor on. And it all gets started with the belt. And this, this belt was six inches wide. It was made of thick leather. And it was absolutely essential for them. So a Roman soldier, their typical garment was called a tunic, okay? It was a, like a piece of cloth and it had a hole for their head and their arms, and it went down to about here, okay? And that's what they wore. And so uh, when, though, they were getting ready for active service or, or actually getting ready to fight, what they would do is they would have to take that tunic, and they would carefully cinch it up in their belt, okay? And this was absolutely essential because most of the military fighting that occurred was hand-to-hand combat. And so if you're wearing the equivalent of like something like a dress, they're just going to grab that down, flip you on your back. You're not even going to know what's going to happen to you, and they're going to kill you because you got cut up in your garment. So if the war is on, the fight is on, you're going to take that tunic, and those Roman soldiers would cinch that up in this belt. This leather belt would also be where they would sheath their sword, and it'd have like an apron in front of it to kind of protect the lower abdomen. And it also supported their back. It gave them that lumbar support. So like, you know, when you're at the, at the gym, at the weight room, and you see these like big old guys, you know, and they got this big leather belt on there. And you're like, are they just like making a fashion statement, you know, just to look mean and tough? Or No, I tell you, that provides a lot of support. They're stronger because of it. Now, you know, we wear our belts today, and they're like maybe like a fashion statement. Maybe you need them to hold up your pants. I don't know. But most of it is like, this is just an accessory. Not so for the Roman soldier. That belt, that was foundational. 
In fact, the breastplate they would eventually put on actually hinged on, hit, uh, hinged on to that belt. It was critically important. And so Paul says, you know how important that belt is? And they're like, it is critically important? He says, so it is with the truth. You need to be girded with truth. You need to gird your loins with truth. Now, uh, when he talks about girding ourselves with God's truth, it's speaking, first of all, with the truth that God has given us in his word. Your life needs to be reflecting and living in the truth that God has given us. Everything we need for life and godliness, God has given us in his word. So this belt of truth is his truth woven into our life. It's supporting us. It gives us strength. Everything is hinged upon the tr- truth. But the other thing is, it's the truth of, that comes from living out his word, that we are living out lives of integrity, that we who have come into relationship with Christ, his life, his word is being reflected in our life. And so he's saying foundational to the Christian life is truth. So Satan, he deals in lies. John 8, says he is the father of lies. And I want you to know he's really good at it. It's very deceptive. He's very good at mixing truth with error. He can get people believing all sorts of things that are false, and it's just this ongoing process of feeding and fueling lives with either half-truths or even eventually just leading them to believe things that are absolutely not true. God wants his people characterized by living in the truth. So today, there is a war on truth, right? There's a war on actual reality. And we see this everywhere. There, there are people that think that, well, all truth is relative, right? You got your truth. I got my truth. Who knows, you know? And, and so that, that flies with a lot of people. We, we have all sorts of confusion on things that are actual factual. Like, for instance, um, like, like, for instance, one sex. Are you a boy or a girl? Do you know when that's actually determined? At conception. There are chromosomes that actually identify if you're male or female. Or you'll hear statements like this. There's absolutely no absolutes. And like, are you serious? You're going to say there are no absolutes. But absolutely, that's true. But a lot of people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Or the idea, and this is what's happening in Christian denominations, churches, universities. Well, there are scriptures that are, mm, we don't like this. And this is not working with the cultural narrative that is in vogue. So what we're going to do is we're either just going to ignore some of these passages. We're going to do a Thomas Jefferson. You know what Thomas Jefferson did with his Bible, don't you? The parts that he didn't like, that didn't fit in with how he wanted to understand God, specifically the miracles of Jesus, he took this little exacto knife and just cut that out. And he did. And you're like, oh, that's crazy. Well, that's practically what's happening in all sorts of churches and denominations today. And if they're like, well... We got it in the Bible, and we're true to the Bible. We'll reinterpret it. And so they come up with some really fanciful interpretations that is in direct violation of the clear teaching of the text. But, well, no, we hold to the Bible. 
we just got a new interpretation on this. It's all good. Don't worry about it. No, you should be concerned because why? God's people are to dwell in the truth. You know, like we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak what to one another? Speak truth to one another, right? To your neighbor. So your life may have been previously categorized as lying. And some people are like habitual liars. Once you get going on that path, there's some people that are not even sure what the truth is anymore because they just, I open my mouth, I start lying, but at least I'm talking, right? And they don't know, but I want you to know, once you come to know Jesus Christ, why he's bringing a reorientation. He's like, I, I want to resolve that issue. I don't want you living in lies anymore, and I don't want you telling lies anymore. I want you to be a person who is a truth teller. And the Holy Spirit starts bringing about conviction, but also growth. And you become a truth teller. And just like a belt was central to the armor of the Roman soldier, so it is truth is central to the genuine Christian. And if you're going to be strong and stand firm, and you're going to have your loins girded with truth, friends, you've got to have a diet that has truth in it. So think about your spiritual diet. What, where is it that you're getting the word of God? It, it's going to have to be better than, well, I got a play, playlist on Spotify and I, I kind of catch up that way or something. Or, you know, I go to church every once in a while when I feel like it or whatever, and sometimes they teach the Bible. I don't know, sometimes they don't. Maybe I, I read a verse every once in a while. Uh, if that's your situation, you're probably pretty anemic. That's not standing firm. That's about ready to get run over. So find some time, make it a practice to be in the Word of God. I mean, start, if, it's, if it means I'm just going to read one verse a day, well, let's just get started. Maybe it's a chapter a day. You know, like, take the book of Ephesians that we're studying. What if you made it a goal? I'm going to read through this book this week. Six chapters, you can, you know, you can do it. Some people read the book of Ephesians once a day. Some people are reading through the, the Bible in a year, and you're like, why would someone do that? I'll tell you why. Because they want to be girded with truth. They understand how important truth is. Truth about God, life, heaven, hell. You see, truth is not meant just to be admired. It is to be appropriated and applied to your life. It's not just like, wow, God's got some pretty amazing truth. It's to know that truth and to live that truth. It shows up in your life priorities, your values, how you make decisions, how you treat people. Is it governed and guided by the truth? Your understanding of right and wrong, how you live out your morality, is it informed and governed by God's truth? That is why the belt of truth is so critically important. And so you're like, well, how, how do I develop a lifestyle and build myself up in God's truth? Well, I'm going to give you like three key questions you want to ask. And the first question is just this. Lord, what is the wisdom that you've revealed in your word related to this subject or situation? So you're encountering a situation or you got something that you're like, man, I'm not really sure about this. What does God's word have to say about it? Okay. I mean, you can Google search and you can just put things out in Bible and you'll find answers. But there's a lot of different ways. But what does the Bibles have to say about the situation or this relationship or the problem or whatever it is? 
Second then is, and when you're doing that, what you're doing is you're understanding, it's comprehension. You're, you're learning what God's word, the truth, says about these matters. The second then is this, well, Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this situation or relationship? So now we're moving beyond comprehension to basing a conviction, like how we're going to handle something, our values, what we really believe. It's based on the truth of God's word. So like yesterday, in preparing for an event, I was thinking very much about this question, Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this? I could envision what immaturity in Christ would look like, but I don't want to do that, right? So I'm like, God, what is that? And then the third question is simply this, Lord, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to do just this, to live out that conviction? This focuses on one's conduct. And so I I learned that Very early on in my Christian life, God wants to shape me with his truth. So uh, shortly after I became a Christian, I was taking child development psychology. You guys ever take that? And in there, uh, they had this, and it was a fascinating question, like, are babies born, are they born, like, innocent? Or are they born blank slates, right? Tabula rasa, right? And I see some of you smiling, like, oh, yeah, I remember all this. Or do, do babies have a sin nature? And I was like, well, that's, that's a good question. I, I want to say that they're, they're like all innocent and good, right? I, I, I mean, that, that seems like the right answer, right? I mean, they're just cute little innocent little babies, right? But then, you know, I'm the oldest of four boys, and, and I noticed that I and my brothers, they didn't, we didn't have to be taught how to lie and do wrong things. It just came naturally. But then I, I looked at what the Bible says, and the Bible clearly presents what? We have a sin nature. The reason that we sin which I did lots of sinning, is because what? I'm a sinner, right? And it was a nature that I had inherited. Or a, another one that I encountered was, um, like, like, who made us? Where did we come from? And so I grew up in the school system, and I was taught evolution, and, you know, kind of made sense. You know, things kind of changed, and somewhere along the line, it kind of made sense. Like, yeah, that monkey somehow becomes a distant relative and a few changes here and there, and voila, there we are, human race. But after I became a Christian, I'm like, I wonder what God has to say about that. And you don't have to look too far. You like begin on page one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you keep reading and like, whoa, wait a second here. God made people in his image to reflect his character. And the Bible presents clearly God is the one who created people, humanity. And so now I've got a question. Am I going to fit in with the story that everybody's going with, that I've been going with, or am I going to take God at his word? In case you're wondering where I landed, I'm going with God and his word, okay? I absolutely believe that's the truth on the matter. But friends, I tell you this because if you and I are going to stand firm in the Lord, in the strength of his might, we must be committed to the truth. We've got to put this belt of truth on. But let me tell you something else this verse tells us. If you and I are going to stand strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, we also have to be covered in Christ's righteousness. Take a look. Verse 14, he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate was a vital uh, piece of equipment for the Roman soldier. They only wore it when they were going into battle. 
but it was absolutely critical. In fact, uh, it was so essential that they would, it was almost like a death sentence to show up at a battle without the breastplate on, okay? It, present, it covered all the vital organs and provided protection. It would be simpler, uh, similar to like our police that wear these bulletproof vests, okay? It is meant to protect them. Now, the breastplate was used when they're going into battle, okay? And, it, and really, most Roman military armor only had armor on the front because it was considered shameful to turn your back on the enemy, and when, as legions, they were all kind of put together. They're stacked in there together. It's just the front that was important, and they wanted to be as mobile as possible. And so they had this breastplate. This breastplate was a thick piece of leather, and then it was covered with like really hard material, like horns or hooves of animals, or chain mail, or some sort of metal like covered like with bronze. And it became an essential piece of equipment because most fighting was what hand-to-hand combat. And so when spears would come, arrows would come, if you're wearing a breastplate and you got hit, guess what? Chances are you survive the assault. But when you're up there close, and, this, and it's all about the thrust of a sword, and you're going you're gonna to guy coming at you, one of the two of you is going to walk away from this, right? They're going to thrust that sword, even if you can glance it, okay, and get it to go off a little bit, if it hits you, you're going to be dead within a couple of minutes. Please don't get the idea that they were just kind of like sword fighting like you see in the movies, and like, ah, you know, like, none of that business, man. It's to the death, and it's going to be quick, and they're looking to just grab and thrust. That is why you need that breastplate to protect you. It was absolutely critical, so it shouldn't surprise us that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says you need the breastplate of righteousness on. Critical to God's holy character is his righteousness. And God gives his righteousness to his people. So when he's calling to mind this breastplate of righteousness, it brings to mind like Romans like 3.22 that says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. So this is the marvel of the gospel that Jesus Christ comes and he fulfills all the law's demand. He is absolutely righteous. He dies as a perfect sacrifice. He's truly human, fully God, and he dies as a perfect sacrifice, and he rises again on the third day. The reason Jesus dies is because the wages of sin is death. We're unrighteous. The wages of sin is death. So Christ dies in our place, yet he's perfectly righteous, And by virtue of his resurrection, he can give credit, his righteousness, to the account of everyone who believes. This is imputed righteousness. Theologians refer to this as justification by faith, where God credits the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ, onto the accounts of sinners who are believing in him. You and I, we don't earn our salvation. We don't keep it. All we show up to the table with is what? Sin, what does God give? His righteousness in Christ. And I want you really grasp what Christ has done, the righteousness he gives. This is absolutely freeing. You start emerging as the person God intended you to be. You're no longer living in this situation. You're like, man, God just, 
he's just pretty upset with me, and he's basically tolerating me, and worse yet, then you fall into some sort of legalism where you try to, like, I just got to earn God's favor, keep it up, you know, and do, and it's, it'll wear you out. It's not how we're meant to live. He wants us to live in the reality that we are declared righteous by God by virtue of faith in him. So every time Satan assaults you with this, like, you are such a sorry excuse for a Christian. Look at you. Absolute mess, right? Yeah, I'm a sinner. But my righteousness comes completely from Christ. And that armor will protect you from going down a downward spiral. But know this, this positional truth, this positional righteousness that Christ gives us, it is to have a practical outworking. Positional righteousness leads to a practical righteousness in how you and I live. So positional truth, we are justified by faith in Christ. But practically, we are sanctified because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, I want you to know that positional righteousness, justification, is distinct from sanctification, practical righteousness. But even though they're distinct, they were never meant to be separated. This whole idea that, well, I believe in Jesus. It's all that really matters. Pretty much go and do whatever I want. I want you to know that is not the gospel. It's not the gospel of the kingdom. Even Jesus himself said this in Luke 6, 46. Time out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. The whole idea of like, I got a lot of Jesus language going on. I know to say the right words and even when to sing them or say them. But that relationship, that doesn't really have any bearing on my life. That's a problem. Because when we really embrace being made, declared righteous by God, the giving of his Holy Spirit desires holiness. He wants us to grow. And we sense that prompting. Yeah, we're imperfect and we sin. We, we mess up. That is the Christian experience, but we're growing in holiness, and God is at work in our lives. And what Satan is trying to do is completely corrupt this. And that's why you find like texts like it says in 2 Timothy 2.22, where it says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, godliness, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You better get good at running from evil. The whole idea is, well, I want to see how close I can get to the line. I really want to cozy up to this. Everybody else does this. Uh, You might want to rethink that position. The right position is like, frankly, I don't want anything to do with evil. And I certainly want evil anything to do with me. I want to be pursuing righteousness. My relationship with Christ wants to bring about holiness in my life. And I will tell you this, that unholy living doesn't actually rob you of your salvation. Why? Because Jesus Christ gives what kind of life? Eternal. There we go. Not probationary. It is eternal life. When does eternity end? It doesn't. And Satan knows that he cannot rob you of your eternal life. He can't really take away the righteousness that has been credited to your account. But he can rob you of your salvation's joy. He can make this a really rocky journey for you because you're not really walking in the ways that you should and you're getting distracted and disoriented and you're buying into things that aren't true and literally the the devil, like he says in 2 Timothy, can actually hold you in the snares, the snares of the devil. And that's why we need truth to escape those snares. 
And so he says, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, we live in it and we love it. And it protects us. But by living and loving in his righteousness, it starts cultivating a a righteousness of how we live. And you're like, well, what does that look like practically? What does practical righteousness look like? Well, guess what? That's what Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We go from 420 all the way through 69. You're seeing a wide variety of examples of how Jesus Christ changes our character, how we treat people our morals, how we forgive people. We, ha- we see it in how, like, our relationships with family, how you treat your spouse if you're married. All of our relationships, our character, how we go about our work, our morals. Like, if you have any question, like, well, does God really care about my morality? Well, you read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3, and you find out, whoa, he really does. He's cultivating holiness in my life. And what it will do is that when we really lay hold of this breastplate of righteousness, why, it has a great confirming work in our heart every time we live in it and love it and rejoice in it. But I also will tell you, it has, it's convincing to the non-believer of the power of Christ. So last night, uh, I was at an event with my family, and I met a young guy. I'd, I've met him on a couple of different occasions, but he's studying to go into med school. A real sharp fella, and he's really investigating Christianity. And we had such an amazing conversation. And I learned a lot about his background and things that he was thinking. And so I presented to him that actually it is Jesus Christ who actually gives us his righteousness. And I explained the gospel to him. And it's nothing that we do. It's everything that Christ has done. We put our faith in him. And the substance of our faith is based on the truth of his word that points us to the reality of Christ. And that's what makes me a Christian. That's why I'm 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. Like, this was, like, very interesting to him. And we're not trusting in a baptism, not trusting in good works, not trusting in church attendance. We're trusting in who? Christ and his righteousness. In his book, The Encourager, Charles Mylander writes of um, a motorcycle cop. You've probably heard of him. Uh, his name is Bob Vernon. He's been, like, on Focus on the Family. And, like, police officers, like, always have, like, the coolest stories, right? And, like, my bro- brother is a captain in a police force, and you know, like, he's got amazing stories. Like, my story, well, I got a paper cut last week. Did I tell you about that? You know, like, yeah, I led a couple SWAT teams, and we did this. Like, oh, okay, you know, we were on a manhunt. Anyway, he's telling this story, Bob Vernon, um, who was a motorcycle cop at the time in L.A., and he sees this red truck kind of blow through a stop sign. He's like, ah, the guy must just be late for work here, so stop signs are important. Joe pulls him over in that red truck, and and, um, what he didn't know is the driver of the red truck had just robbed at a convenience store by gun with his gun. And, and, uh, and the guy was freaking out, like, how do the cops know so quickly that I've done this? I mean, I just literally did this, and I blew through the stop sign, and this police officer has now pulled me over. So Bob Vernon gets off his bike, and he walks up and says, Hey, good morning, sir. Uh, may I see your registration and license? And before he finished the sentence... That robber took that very gun that he just used to held up that convenience store and just a few inches away shot him in the chest, knocked him back seven feet. This robber couldn't believe what was happening. Like, how is it they figured this out? But then he was really shocked 
when Bob Vernon, a couple seconds later, picks himself up off the ground, pulls out his service revolver, shoots once, shatters the windshield, shoots again, goes through the door, and rips into the left leg. And the robber goes, I give up! I give up! And he throws out the money and the gun. And I tell you this for a couple reasons. One, you need to know that all of our police officers that are serving us, they are on a daily basis. They put their lives on the line. You might want to thank them for oftentimes a a task that is very difficult and very dangerous. But the second reason I tell you this is the reason that that officer, Bob Burnham, got back up is because he's wearing that Kevlar bulletproof vest and he was able to withstand that kind of assault. Now, I have a question for you. How effective would the... uh, bulletproof vest B, if he had left it in the locker, like, you know, this is a little uncomfortable, I feel restricted, and it's so hot out there, I'll just put it here. How effective would the bulletproof vest be if he hadn't had it on? Not very. Bob Vernon doesn't tell the story, right? But he had it on. And friends, I tell you this because we need to live in the righteousness of God. It needs to be our ongoing reality. We need to love this truth and live in it. It's one of the greatest resources given to us by Jesus Christ. You see, we need to put on the armor of God, and you're like, well, how do you do that? Well, we put on the armor of God by loving and living in the realities of our relationship with Christ. And friends, we need to do so. I hope you're ready, because we are in a war. Let me give you just a little bit of example of, of what this kind of looks like. Bob Berry Uh, He's a writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, A couple years ago, he had this article. Actually, less than a couple years ago. How TikTok serves up sex and drug videos to minors. And I just want to read a summary to you. So what happened is they, uh, they ran a kind of sting operation on social media, on the social media site TikTok. The Wall Street Journal created dozens of automated accounts called bots. They set up these bots to understand what TikTok shows young users. These bots, registered as users age 13 to 15, were turned loose to browse TikTok's videos. The videos revealed that TikTok can quickly drive minors, and of course adults too, into rabbit holes of content focused on drugs, violence, or sex. So for example, one bot was programmed to dwell on videos with hashtags related to drugs. On the first day on the platform, the account lingered on a video of a young woman walking through the woods with a caption suggesting she was in search of marijuana. The next day, the account also watched a video of a marijuana-themed cake. Soon after, the teenager's fed, uh, feed took on an abrupt turn. And listen to this. With the majority of the next thousand videos touting drugs and drug use, including marijuana, psychedelics, and prescription medication. One showed an image of a person exhaling smoke and linked to a website that was 420-friendly, which is code for marijuana use, and offered yummy goodies for all. The article concluded that TikTok only needs one important piece of information to figure out what a user wants. The amount of time you linger over a piece of content Every second you hesitate or rewatch, the app tracks you. Through that one powerful signal, TikTok 
can learn your most hidden interests and emotions and drive users of any age deep into rabbit holes of content in which feeds are heavily dominated by videos about a specific topic or theme. It's an experience that other social media companies like YouTube have struggled to stop. And it seems that this is how the devil and his demonic forces work in a very similar fashion. What it is that you and I focus on, linger on, ponder. It's almost if it's register, and when it is wrong, and it's not in keeping with God and his truth or holiness, why there's more to be had, and the temptation is getting get greater and greater. And no matter where it comes from, your phones, your computers, the things that you're just kind of seeing around, or even just what you're just kind of focusing on, can I ask you, what really is your spiritual diet? Because your spiritual diet is going to be reflected for better or worse in how you live and the joy that you might experience in Christ. But friends, I want you to know the war is on. These temptations that you and I face, they're very alluring. There are dangers in front of us. And just so that you and I don't blow up our life, I want to give you a verse. You might want to write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This can be the lifesaver for you. And it simply says this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So don't think you're unique. unique like, man, I'm the only one that's ever faced this. Like, no. This, this has gone around for a long time. You're not the first. And it says this. And God is faithful. Never forget that. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way escape also so that you may be also able to endure it. There is a way of escape. It'll become apparent. You ask God, God, how do I get out of this? I can assure you, based on this promise, there is a way out. You don't need to blow up your life. God will give you that way of escape. And so it's the righteousness of Christ, who we are in him, and the righteousness that he's cultivating. Guess what? That's why we will pursue holiness. You see, we put on the armor of God by loving and living and the realities of our relationship with Christ. And how you appropriate this, it's by just talking with God. Remember that Christ will either deliver us from danger and evil or through it. But make no mistake, Christ and Christ alone is our victory. He's got us in the palm of his hand. What we need to do is cling to him and believe him. So can I just ask, have you put on the full armor of God? Have you? Satan's attacks are real. Let's just talk about the belt of truth. How how are you doing? Do Do you actually love God's truth? Is that reflected in your life and your attitudes? and even your approach to this and how much time you spend into it. Um, Are there some secret sins in your life? Are some things that you're kind of hiding, lies that you are living or even perpetuating? Maybe it's time to cinch up the belt because there's a war going on and God has given us his truth. It'll make all the difference. And how about that breastplate of righteousness? Do you love the glorious gospel reality that God has given us Christ's righteousness to we who believe. And does this relationship with Christ, how is it affecting your decisions, your entertainment, your choices, your morals? 
It's that breastplate of righteousness that it protects us and it fuels us with his life. So the next time you pass by one of those hydroelectric plants, right, whether they be big or small, I want you to think about, like, how much power is generated by that dam. But let's use these hydroelectric dams to also remind us of the one who will never fail, who is always faithful, who will never forsake us, and his power knows no end. Why, it's Jesus Christ. And we put on the armor of God by loving and living and the realities of our relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we who have opened up your word, you are the one who has opened up our hearts. If there is someone here today who has never truly trusted in you, would they just pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I need you, and I need forgiveness. I believe in Christ and the salvation he secured at the cross. Lord, Lead me and guide me. And Lord, for all of us who do know you, in this time of prayer, would you right now, just as you talk to God, would you express your love for him, for his truth? Would you thank that God that he has given you the bread of life that is found in his words? Would you thank God for righteousness, nothing that you produce, but everything that he has given us in the all-sufficiency of Jesus? Would you ask God to give you just even a greater love and awe of him because of this? Would you ask God to lead you in holiness in keeping with the righteousness that we have in Christ? walking in his ways, even when we stumble and in our imperfections, we, we still have a Savior that loves us unconditionally. He's always calling us back and calling us to greater heights. Would you confess any sin that the Spirit of God brings to your mind? If you've missed the mark, and, and you'll know, just turn from it, repent of it, and ask God for that cleansing. Would you bring your requests before God who is able? And so as we come into this time of communion, would you ask God to use this observance as we do so as a church to fuel our love for Christ, our desire to walk in his ways, to know and to show his goodness and his loveliness. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time to worship and for this time of communion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to partake in communion. If you didn't get one of these cups, just put your hand up and one of the ushers will make sure you get one. Um, You don't have to be a member of Fellowship Bible Church, but you do have to truly know Christ if you're to partake. In fact, the Bible warns, if you don't know Jesus, you should not partake. What you should do is trust him now. But for us who believe why this is such an important time in the life of the church. So it says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he is betrayed, he took bread, broke it, and gave thanks. And when he did this, he took this bread, he said, This is my body which is given 
for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So if you want to take that wafer, and as you eat it, I want you to think of Jesus dying on the cross in these words, words, it is finished, and remember him. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So before you drink this cup, would you remember Jesus and his blood shed on your behalf? Do this in remembrance of him. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And friends, he is coming back and we're living in light of his return. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing day of worship to gather with your people, to pray, to sing songs of worship, to be exhorted in your word and to live in the glorious realities of Jesus Christ. You're an awesome God. We love you because you first loved us. So fuel us with faith. May we walk in the victory and the joy of Jesus for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If we could, as a, if we could, as a church body, um, stand and praise, pour out our praise to God.
our praise and one way we pour out our praise is how we live out our life daily for the Lord and if you notice in your bulletin this morning what we call fellowship Bible to is to be on mission be on mission for the Lord and it says to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ and we understand that acronym is loving God and investing in others and following his word and engaging our world Listen, we're going to go out and we're going to engage our world. And we're on a mission for Jesus Christ. We understand, as Grant preached this morning, there is uh, the enemy who is seeking to devour. He's roaming around. And folks, the way we go out prepared is to come in and to worship and to praise and to hear, the, hear God's word and to respond and then to go out and daily put on that armor of God. So I want to encourage you this morning as you leave to really let that, that passage of the armor of God and putting it on just take through your mind to your heart to your soul to say, I'm going out prepared this week, not only to fight the spiritual battles, but to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We'll see you guys next Sunday. God bless. Thank you for worshiping with us online. We hope that you've had an encouraging time uh, by being with us. And we want to encourage you. On our website is a link called Get Connected. And we would love for you to fill that out. And that will allow us to know how maybe we can follow up with you to help you get connected, maybe even how to pray for you. And also there are links on our website to share more about our ministries and maybe how you can take a step, the next step in getting connected in one of our small groups. Well, as you head out this week, we hope that you take Pastor Grant's uh, words to heart. As we think about spiritual warfare, Jesus really is the difference maker. So have a great week walking with God, having worshiped with us this morning.